Chapter 4 of The Radio Boys on the Mexican Border by Gerald Breckenridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Shots at the Station. Boys, said Mr. Temple when the Temple home, a short distance from the Hampton place, was reached, come into the library with me. I want to have a serious talk with you. Obediently, Bob and Frank filed into the room and sat down in deep leather armchairs, while Mr. Temple sat back in a swinging chair by his broad, flat topped desk. Selecting a cigar from the humidor at his elbow, he lighted it and puffed thoughtfully several moments before addressing the chums. First of all, he said, at the conclusion of this period of silence, I've decided that we will not notify the police of this affair. Why not, Dad? demanded Bob in surprise. We want to keep this matter to ourselves until we can see more clearly what it means, explained Mr. Temple. We recovered what was stolen, anyhow. But more than that, I begin to suspect there is something more behind all this than mere business rivalry between the independent oil operators and the trust. What do you mean, Uncle George? asked Frank, puzzled. Well, boys, I'll tell you, said Mr. Temple, speaking deliberately and thoughtfully. In the first place, I know the men at the head of the so-called octopus. They are keen businessmen and quick to seize every legitimate advantage. But they are above such unscrupulous tactics as this. I know the signs point to them as the instigator of the troubles at Mr. Hampton's camp and then here today, but those signs point to something else, too. If you will recall, Jack said that the fellows who raided the Hamptons today, or tried to do so but failed, were Mexicans, and this man who entered the Hampton house today was a Mexican, too. What was his name, Frank? Morales. Jose Morales, said Frank promptly. Yes, Jose Morales, said Mr. Temple. Well, I believe that certain Mexicans are responsible for our troubles, and not our business rivals at all. What in the world? said Bob, puzzled. But why, Uncle George? demanded Frank. In order to make trouble between the United States and Mexico, said Mr. Temple promptly. Oh, said Bob, I begin to see what you're driving at. You mean, then, that by attacking the independents in the Southwest, these Mexicans would get us so stirred up that Uncle Sam would take a hand to protect our properties and might even send troops to the border? That's exactly what I mean, Bob, said Mr. Temple approvingly. But in that case, Uncle George, demanded Frank, why wouldn't the Mexicans be making trouble for Octopus, too? Because, Frank, explained the older man, the properties throughout the region where we are located are mainly held by independent operators. The octopus is trying to gobble us up, but it hasn't succeeded, and it won't if we can prevent. But just the same, it isn't there for the Mexicans to attack. If they want to harass anybody in the hope of getting United States government to intervene, they must attack us and our friends and allies. Yes, I see that now, said Frank, nodding. But what makes you think that the Mexicans want to get into a war with Uncle Sam? They don't particularly yearn to come to blows with us, Frank, said Mr. Temple, and not all Mexicans are involved, if my suspicions are correct, but only a faction. You see, boys, General Obregan has been president of Mexico now for several years, but the country is far from pacified and far from submitting to his rule. The rebel forces in the northern part of Mexico are gaining in strength right along. One of these days they will be an open revolution. Now these Mexicans who want to depose Obregan would like to get him into trouble with the United States in the hope that what they desire would then come to pass. I begin to understand you, said Bob, with more animation than usual. You mean the rebels would like to stir up trouble on the border and get Obregan into hot water with Uncle Sam in just the same way that Pancho Villa some years ago made trouble between our government and Carranza by his raids on Columbus, New Mexico. That's it, Bob, said his father. 
Gee, Dad, cried Bob. This time, if there's war, I'm going to enlist, believe me. Same here, Uncle George, declared Frank. Bob and I could go as aviators. Hooray for the young aviators of the Rio Grande, cried Bob, swinging his arms like a cheerleader of a high school team. You boys don't know what you're talking about, said Mr. Temple, but with an indulgent smile. I should imagine you would have read enough of the horrors of war during the past few years to make you never want to see a battlefield or shoot a gun at a man. That's right, Uncle George, said the sensitive Frank, shuddering as he recalled some of the things that he had read about Europe's devastation. No, boys, said Mr. Temple, if I'm right about this, we'll have something more important to do than fight battles or track bandits across the Mexican desert by airplane. What? what? chorused the chums. Instead of making war, said Mr. Temple slowly, we'll have to prevent it. Right, oh, Uncle George, cried Frank, springing up. When do we pack? Young man, you're in a hurry, aren't you? smiled Mr. Temple. Well, boys, I believe that by day after tomorrow I can have my affairs in order so that I can leave them for a while. Then we'll start. That is, of course, if you'll carry me as a passenger. Will we carry him? said Bob, striding to his side. Good old dad! And he thumped his father on the shoulder, a resounding blow that made the older man grimace humorously and draw away from him. They were interrupted by a knock on the door. Frank opened the door to find a maid standing in the passage. She was trembling with excitement. Oh, Mr. Frank, she gasped. I heard several shots. It seemed like they came from the radiophone station of Mr. Hampton's. I'm so worried about Tom. That's right. Tom's your sweetheart, isn't he? said Frank. The maid blushed. Frank re-entered the room and explained the maid's message practically all in one breath. We were talking so much that we didn't hear the reports, I suppose, said Mr. Temple, jumping up and snatching his hat. The boys already were at the door, but he called them back. This time, he said grimly, I'm not going to have you taking any chances on being killed. You will wait for me, and please remember it. Opening a drawer, he drew out a heavy automatic, broke it open to assure himself it was loaded, and then dropped it in his coat pocket. All right now, he said. Let's go. End of chapter 4